Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Uh, it is just so, so good to be here this morning. Uh, as Pastor Ben said, uh, in the background, we have been working with you and for you uh, and alongside you. Uh, so excited about a life-giving church on the North Shore once again. Thank you, Jesus, for what he's doing here among you. So, so excited. Uh, we love your pastors, Ben and Emma. Uh, we love their faith. We love their courage. Uh, we love their willingness to come to Canada and to help us uh, reach Canadians for Jesus. And uh, we're just so thrilled that they're part of our network. Um, and, uh, and what you probably don't know is that, uh, you know, I've been inviting them into areas of leadership uh, now that not only are they leading this church and are they demonstrating to others what God can do, you know, with faith and courage and a lot of hard work, um, but they're helping us lead other churches uh, into the same sense of life and joy and expectation. And so thank you both uh, for leading and for being amazing and for being good pastors. Come on, love on your pastor's church. Come on, come on. Well, as Pastor Ben said, uh, you are part of a network of 209 churches across, uh, across uh, BC and the Yukon, and across Canada, a network of almost 1,200 churches. Uh, but I would uh, suggest that this may be one of the most life-giving churches in our whole network. And I'm just, again, just so excited. Uh, in a moment, I just, I want to tell you a little bit about another opportunity that we have that I'm praying God is going to move. But uh, before I do that, let me introduce my family. First of all, my lovely wife is here, Leanne. Uh, she's joined me uh, for this weekend. Um, hey, you need to know that Leanne grew up here on the North Shore, so this is home for her. And, uh, and we've had fun connecting with people that we've known for a long time. And so in your first service, uh, some friends from the way back days. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But uh, from the way back days, uh, Leanne's friend from high school is with her, her here this morning. And so, again, we're just so glad that they've joined us as well, and, and it's great to be here. You know, way back in 1995, uh, Leanne and I had a, uh, a desire, actually, to plant a church here on the North Shore. And God did not see that, the timing in that for us, and that's fine. But, you know, we have been, we felt like we have been part of what God is doing now for almost, uh, what, what I, my math is not good, for that long. Uh, and, uh, and so we're just so, so thankful for that. Let me introduce the rest of my family. Um, this was taken at my daughter's wedding this summer, so you can guess which one probably got married. Um, and so our daughter, Brianna, who is married to her husband, Noah, and uh, who else would she be married to, I guess, right? So anyways, uh, married to Noah. They are finishing up their last year of Bible college. Uh, they have it in their hearts to plant a church uh, one of these days. And so uh, they have been from day one uh, part of our church plant, Citizens Church in South Surrey with uh, pastors uh, Jason and Kelsey Eliason. And uh, they planted that church only two weeks before this church. And so again, we're just so thrilled that they've, um, they're following Jesus, they're following God's call on their lives, um, and they've got the a heart to plant churches. Um, on the, on the, my far right, your far right, I guess, as well, uh, is my son Marcus. 
And uh, Marcus next week is starting as the assistant pastor at Evangel Church in Powell River. And uh, we're just so proud of him that he's serving God's calling over his life as well. And, uh, and he's going to serve that community. We're expecting and anticipating great things that God's going to do in his life. Um, and then, of course, you can see my wife there. And then on the far left is our eldest daughter, Lauren, and her husband, Taylor. Uh, they both live up in Williams Lake, and both of them are registered nurses. And so my daughter is a, a labor and delivery specialist, and my son-in-law is a, an OR nurse. And uh, my daughter sometimes says, you know, I'm the one who didn't go to Bible college. Now, I did pay the 100 bucks to register her, by the way. Never did get it back. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, she said, always one, like, I'm, the, I'm not the one who went to Bible college. I'm the one who is in pastoral ministry, blah, blah, blah. You know, sometimes I need to remind her, though, that as a, a registered nurse, uh, she's still in ministry. Come on. It, in fact, as a labor and delivery specialist, imagine this. She is often the very first to lay hands on children as they're born. She has the opportunity to bless those children, to pray over those children, to start those children. I feel like in just the right time and the right place for them. And so they're both involved in healing ministry in, in, in Williams Lake and serving that community there. And so that's a, that's a word for somebody here this morning. Come on, now you may not be standing up here, you may not be singing, you may not be doing those things, but know that God has called you to a place of ministry where you are, when you are, and you need to understand that in a fresh and a new way. That's free this morning. All right. Hey, my, my role uh, in our network of churches is around multiplication. And so I get to, and hear that, don't have to, get to uh, serve people like Pastor Ben and Emma and other churches that are planting uh, across our district and churches that are growing and thriving and multiplying. So I have the best job uh, in the world. It is just so much fun. And we have a heart to plant more churches um, in BC and the Yukon. As I said, you're part of 209 churches. I'm praying and believing that that number is going to keep ticking up, you know, in a pretty consistent uh, way. Um, and that next time I'm here, I'm going to be able to kind of report a, a, a bigger number. But uh, listen, just so you understand a little bit of that heart, I've got a video for you that I just want to show uh, that explains the heart for church planting in our province. The church in Canada is in trouble. Recent statistics say that almost three quarters of churches in Canada are plateaued or in decline. In our home province of British Columbia, church attendance continues to decline at an alarming rate. Where some see unsurmountable odds, others see an opportunity for God to do something new, to provide hope, life, and healing to those who have never known God's love, to reach out to those who have walked away but need to have their faith renewed, and to be a redeeming influence in neighborhoods, communities, and homes where the gospel is absent. God is calling a new generation of church planters to be missionaries right here in our culture, and they are going into some of the least evangelized regions of our district where the people are, but the churches are not. These new churches are not just surviving, they are thriving and reaching people who are experiencing God for the very first time. Church planting has been the heartbeat of our Pentecostal movement from the very beginning. And if we are going to reach the people who live in our province, we need new churches in the urban areas of Vancouver, Burnaby and Surrey, the suburbs of the Lower Mainland, and the underreached communities in the Kootenays, Okanagan, Interior, and Northern British Columbia. How is God calling you to reach the people in your city, your community, and our district?
So let me tell you about an opportunity just down the road. Uh, our church in Squamish is where this place was about two, two and a half, three years ago. And there is an opportunity, and I think in one of the fastest growing communities uh, in our province, in one of the youngest communities in our province, and I dare say it, I, I know you're gonna disagree with me on this, but maybe one of the coolest community of our province. Um, there is an opportunity for God to do there something similar to what he has done here. The stories, I believe, are gonna be parallel. And so I'm inviting you to pray into that, to speak into that. Your pastors are gonna help us with that. And, uh, and we just believe that God's gonna do, continue to do some great things um, in this region, in this area. God's gotta move. God's gotta move in the North Shore. He's gotta move on the Sea to Sky Highway and on the way up to Whistler. And so we're expecting great and, uh, and awesome things. Well, hey, um, so I've been in this role for about a year and a half. How many of you ever started a job and you realized there were some things they didn't tell you about the job you just started? Anybody with me on that? Yeah, okay, a few of you, many of you. So um, nobody was trying to be deceptive, but when I started my role, there were some things that I just did not know um, and that nobody had warned me about. So my very first week on the job, I'm sitting across a table from a fellow pastor in the Vancouver area, and I'm telling him my excitement for church planning. I'm telling him my, my passion for multiplying churches and growing churches, and we need more churches, and we need to help churches grow. And I took a breath, and he, he jumped in, and he says, you know, Len, I, I, I really think we just got to hang on to what we've got. I said, what do you mean? He said, we just, we gotta hang on to what we've got. You know, some of our churches are declining. Some of our churches are in trouble. You know, the job is hard. The task is difficult. And so we've just gotta hang on basically until Jesus comes. I looked at him and I just, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even think people thought that way. And so I was like, I don't even, like, what do I do with this guy? And so anyway, we finished up the meeting and I walked away and I thought, okay, this is like just a weird conversation, right? Wrong guy, wrong day, first day, like whatever. We'll move on. No, not everybody thinks that way. You know, sadly, what I've found is that I've traveled this province and I've been uh, in every single region of this province now in the last year and a half. Uh, not yet every church, of course, but every region. What I've discovered is that that sentiment exists in so many places, in so many pastors, in so many churches, in so many leaders. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And it has, it has still, and it, it did and still does, uh, shake me to my core. And here's what I've observed, that in some cases, uh, people have elevated faithfulness over fruitfulness. So faithfulness is essentially saying, you can count on me. It's what Eugene Peterson popularized by saying, uh, a long obedience in the same direction. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying this morning. I thank God for those who faithfully give. I thank God for those who faithfully serve. Thank God for those of you who faithfully pray and who love and support. You need to understand, you are a blessing to your church. You are a blessing to your pastor. You are a blessing to the Lord. And so hear me this morning. Thank God for those of you, many of you here sitting this morning, who are faithful. And faithfulness is absolutely essential. But hear me, God has also called us to be fruitful. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15? He said, those who are connected to me, that is Jesus, will bear much fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit, not some dried up grape on the vine, right? But Jesus said that you will bear much fruit if you're connected to me. So listen, we do have to show up, but we also need to reach out. Church, we need to love God and we need to love our neighbor. And hear me today, if we are faithful without being fruitful, I believe that we're missing out on everything that God has for us. If we miss fruitfulness, or if we trade fruitfulness for just faithfulness, 
then you will not experience the fullness of God in your life. And I want you to hear me this morning. There is so much more for you. And there's so much more for our churches who are only being faithful, but not being, pursuing being fruitful. So let me ask you this. What does it mean to be fruitful? What does it mean to experience the blessing of multiplication uh, numerically in our churches, personally in our lives, and through spiritual growth? What does it mean to be fruitful this morning? What does it mean to experience multiplication? So today I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is going to help us answer this question. And uh, for those of you who have been around, around church for a while, you've, you know this story. If you were a kid in Sunday school, you've heard this story. If you're new to church today, um, I just pray that it's be like, wow, that's cool. But for all of us, I pray that God has something fresh and something new uh, out of this account that comes out of, of the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. We're going to have the verses up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, um, open it. If you have an app, open it. If you have whatever you do, just do it. Uh, and follow along with me. Um, but let me give you a little bit of context as we get there. It's important to know what's happened as we lead into this story. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 13, what you discover is this, is that Jesus has actually suffered a, a great disappointment. Isn't it crazy that Jesus could be disappointed? Isn't it crazy that God in the flesh could experience the level of disappointment that I'm about to describe to you? And so Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth, the place that he knew the best, the place that he grew up, uh, the place that he learned his trade, the place that he probably, where he fixed people's homes and was involved in their lives, the place where he had childhood friends. He goes back to Nazareth and he wants to bring the good news to them. And instead, what he gets is rejection. They say to him, oh, we know you. You're nothing special. We know your parents. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. Who are you to come and say that you're the chosen one of God? We remember you when you were a little kid. You were a pretty good little kid. We never saw you do anything wrong. But we remember you when you were a little kid. And so the scriptures tell us that Jesus left terribly disappointed. And in fact, reports that he was only able to do a few miracles there. Imagine that. Just a healing or two. No big deal. I don't really... Anyways. So anyway, he, was only, he, he leaves and he's deeply disappointed. As he leaves, he receives news. And he receives news that John the Baptist, now John the Baptist was his first cousin. John the Baptist was also the guy who was Jesus' herald. So in other words, he was out in the wilderness, he was preaching, he was teaching, he was baptizing, he was doing all the things, but he was telling the people, hey listen, there's one coming who's greater than me. In fact, he's so great that I don't, I'm not even qualified to get down on my knees and tie up his sandals. There is one who's coming greater than me, and when he comes, ignore me and follow him. Imagine that. So this is, it's this John the Baptist. So he receives news that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. So it's this one-two punch that Jesus has experienced. Hometown rejects him. Cousin, Harold, the one who went before him, killed by, by Herod. And so this is what Matthew tells us about Jesus' experience in chapter 14, verse 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news about John the Baptist, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So get the picture. Jesus just wants to be alone. He just wants to get out into the wilderness for a little while, and he wants to receive strength from his heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. Again, isn't that interesting? That, that, that Jesus 
you know, 100% God, but also 100% human, would be in a place where he received, or that he'd, he'd uh, suffered such deep disappointment that he just needed to get alone with God to be strengthened and encouraged in the Holy Spirit. But instead, the crowds gather. And so in typical fashion, as Jesus does, he puts his own feelings aside, he responds with tremendous compassion, and he spends his day ministering to the people, loving them, caring them, speaking life into them, healing them, encouraging them. And so the day goes on, and imagine, this is, now this is a long church service we got going on, right? I mean, not now, but then. <laughs> now you're like, what do you mean? We're just like, uh, you know, 54 minutes into this thing. Yeah, we'll keep you here for another couple hours. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. So, anyway, long service, right? They've been there all day. In, in, fact, in fact, they've been out in the sun all day. You know, and so they, they actually came to the 9 o'clock and stayed for the 11, right? And not only did they stay for 11, but it went through lunch, and then it went through the afternoon nap, right? Every good church person has an afternoon nap, right? So went through the afternoon nap, right? Went into dinner time. It's starting to get dark, and the disciples are, are you know, get Jesus' attention. He said, they said in verse 15, Jesus, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, preachers love beating up on the disciples because the disciples are usually an example of doing dumb things, right? Dumb things that probably we would do, but it's better to point at them than us. So, um, we love beating up on the disciples, but I think in this case, they were actually responding in a very caring and compassionate fashion. They had recognized that these people had been at church all day long, right? And, and they'd had no snacks, they'd had no meals, they'd had nothing so, uh, provided for them. And so they had a concern for the people. Their concern was that they needed to go and get a meal, and they needed to get a rest. But I think they also had a concern for Jesus, See, they understood his disappointment. They were on the inside circle. All these other people didn't know, but they knew what his plan for the day was. And so they wanted to protect some space for him so that Jesus could receive the ministry from the, the Father through the Holy Spirit that they believed that they needed. But this is so cool. Because you would think Jesus would be like, hey, yeah, you know what? You're compassionate, you're kind, you're considerate. Um, I just got busy preaching. Let's let the people go. But this is what he does instead. Verse 16, Jesus says, he looks at the disciples, and I think he says this with, with a twinkle in his eye, because he's like, as good as today has been, as awesome as the healings have been, it's been amazing to see these people re you know, uh, released from the chains that bind them. It's been incredible what, you know, what's happened. But it's amazing this. I got some more for you, which, by the way, I think there's a principle there for you. As good as God is, he's always better, yeah. right? Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says, I'll tell you what, that's not necessary. Why don't you go feed them? Yeah. Now, You've got to get your, put yourself in the disciples' position again. I think their, their jaws drop. Because remember what verse 14 tell, told us? That this was a huge crowd. Scholars tell us that there were 12 to 15,000 people, including women and children, who had gathered that day. And here's the fact of the matter. No one had capacity to feed a crowd that size. Even in this day and age, could you imagine the time and the, the energy and the planning and the finances and the effort that would need to be put in to feed a crowd of 12 to 15,000 people? No one could do it, not then and not now. And so I love the response of the disciples. They respond certainly like I would, maybe like you would as well. Now, by this time, they're smart enough to know that if you come right against Jesus, he's gonna be like in your face. And so they kind of take a little bit of a, uh, gentle, careful, sort of, a, uh, sort of a, an approach that isn't going to get them in trouble. And, um, and they say to Jesus, uh, okay, um, so uh, Jesus, just so you know, um, we only have five loaves of bread 
um, and two fish. Now, uh, Leanne would tell you that I'm, lou- I'm terrible in the kitchen. Um, she and my son, uh, they cook up a storm. They do amazing things in the kitchen. I get in there and things start dropping and falling and making messes start happening and bumping into people. Part of that is by design. Um, <coughs> but part of that is just because I'm a klutz in the kitchen. So I don't know much about the kitchen. But here's what I would guess is that five loaves of bread and two fish is just enough lunch for 13 people. So they look at what they've got, and they basically said, we've got lunch, and that's it, Jesus. And what they did is they looked at their natural resources, and they very quickly concluded that Jesus was asking for the impossible. And not only were they asking for the impossible, but it was bordering on the ridiculous. They basically responded to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we've added up everything that we have and it's not enough. Jesus, you gotta understand, there's only 12 of us, you know, 13 including you, and there are way too many of them. Jesus, you have to understand, what you're asking of us, we're fishermen, we're tax collectors, a few of us here are political protesters, we're not party planners, we're not caterers, Jesus, we don't have enough people, we don't have enough skills, we don't have enough collective resources to accomplish what you're asking of us. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when God calls you to something that's beyond your current capability? What do you do when God puts something in your heart that exceeds your personal capacity? How do you respond when God calls you to something and you would say, it's impossible. We can't do it. See, I think this is my problem, and this might be yours as well. As you say, well, we're just a regular church. We got a vision to, to reach the North Shore and beyond, but we don't have the resources, we don't have the people, we don't have the ability. The, the task isn't just huge, it's impossible. See, here's what we do is we see a, a task or the vision, we compare it to what we have in our hands. We perceive the gap between them and we say, it's impossible. It would take a, help me out. Don't mumble it. Help me out. It would take a miracle. Hmm. So here's how Jesus responds. And this is easy to skate, skate over and just ignore, but Jesus responds in verse 18 by saying this. Bring what you have here. And here's the principle is that when God places a vision in your heart, when he places a task in your hands, when he calls you to something that you think is beyond your capacity, he only asks you to bring what you have. He doesn't send you away and say, listen, when you've got more, when you're ready, when you've got your act together, when your bank account is full, when you're 100% healthy, when you've got all the time in the world, when you've got it all sorted out and organized and prepared and ready and planned, and everything is 100% the way it is, then come. No, he doesn't say that. He simply calls you to bring what he has already blessed you with. And this is the essence of the principle of multiplication. And if you hear nothing else I say this morning, I pray that you would remember this as you walk out the door, and that's this, is that God chooses to work miraculously through obedient disciples. That's it. God chooses to work miraculously through obedient disciples. The disciples came and said, this is what we've got. We've got some bread, and we've got some fish. And so Jesus, at this point, he begins to take over. He says, okay, let's move on. 
Let's see how this is going to unfold. Verse 19. So Jesus takes over. He says, said to the people, sit down on the grass. And then he took five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. That's going to be important in a second. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who then distributed it to the people. Again, very important. So two things to note. First is this, is that Jesus blessed the offering. Understand that when we bring our best and our first, God blesses it even if we don't think it's very much. And so the encouragement to you today is to bring your best and your first. You might think, ah, it's not much, it doesn't compare. You know, I look down the street, I look at the guy next to me, I look at the gal over there, and I don't have much. Hear me this morning, when God, when you bring your, your best and your first, that's when God blesses it. And don't misunderstand, this isn't about more or less, this isn't about little or much, this is about you coming with a willing heart, with a right attitude, this is about you coming with an obedient response. Because God works miraculously, through obedient disciples. But here's the other thing I want you to note, and this is so important. And maybe you've never seen this before, and that's this, is that the miracle of multiplication happened when the disciples began to distribute what God had blessed to the people. Do you see that? It's when they began to give what they had. When it's, it's when they began to give it away that the multiplication happened. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, they had this basket that, you know, they were like, oh, I got all this food. It wasn't that. It was all they had was lunch. They, all they had was enough for themselves. But as they began to give it away and as they began to distribute to the crowd, as it left their hands, the miracle of multiplication occurred. And it was as they released it, as they let it go, as they responded in obedience that the multiplication happened. This is the kingdom of principle of multiplication. That God receives what we perceive as little or in comparison to what the world had, might, might uh, identify as little and he multiplies it into much. That God takes what you perceive as your insignificant gift and he transforms it into a miracle. Let me give you a, a, an example of this. So Leanne and I pastored in Kamloops for 10 years. And uh, one of the things that we did while we were there is we did a, a major renovation of the main floor. And when we did the renovation, uh, we put in a coffee bar. How many believe that every good church has got an awesome coffee bar? Amen. Can I get an amen, right? Amen. Yeah, okay. So just like your church, when you walk in the doors, immediately to the right was this coffee bar. You couldn't miss it. You, you had to go right by it. And uh, the purpose of the coffee bar was to cr not create revenue and income and all of that, um, but the purpose was a place of connection, a place of community, and so on and so forth. So there was a guy in our church who thought this was such a great idea. Um, he was a heavy-duty mechanic, but he decided that he was going to figure out how to pull espresso shots. So he went online, he watched YouTube videos, and he did a bunch of research and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he actually became the guy who would train all our baristas and, and do all this stuff. And he loved working back there. And so one Sunday, there was this couple that came into church. And because he'd been around the church forever, he, he recognized that this was a new couple to church. And so he says, hey, why don't you come and have a seat, and, um, and, I'll, and I'll, give you, I'll give you a coffee. They said, sure. So they sat down. Uh, he pulls some espresso shots. He gives them a coffee. He says, hey, um, you knew? They said, yeah. They said, he says, tell me their story. And they be, tell me your story. And they began, began to unpack their story. What he discovered is, is that they were actually new to the, the city of Kamloops. 
Um, but they were going through tremendous marriage issues. They were just having terrible times. And that weekend in particular had been one of the worst. I mean, it had been a fight that was absolutely epic all weekend long, right? I mean, they were swearing at each other and yelling at each other and screaming at each other, literally throwing things at each other, slam doors, tears, like the whole bit, right? Calling each other terrible names, like all of it. It was as bad as it ever been. Somewhere late on Saturday night or early on Sunday morning, the, the, you know, the emotion kind of finally settled a little bit. One looked at the other, and, and they had a bit of a church background. One looked at the other and said, you know, maybe we should go to church on Sunday, and we're just going to give God a chance to patch this thing together. If he doesn't figure this out on Sunday morning, we're, we're done. Monday we'll go and start the divorce proceedings. So one said to the other, okay, well, what church do you want to go to? They're like, I don't know. We're new to the community. Um, I drove by a church the other day. It happens to be right around the corner from our house. Let's go to that one. Okay, that was the full extent of research that they did in terms of what church they go to. So that Sunday, they roll into our church. They sit down with Ken. They begin to tell him a story. And as they're telling the story, other people are rolling into church and they're going by the coffee bar. And I have a feeling most people didn't get their espresso that morning, but nonetheless, they're going by the coffee bar. They're coming into the auditorium. You know, the auditorium fills up. We start the music. We do some singing, just like we did here this morning. Um, you know, I get up, tell, do some announcements, take up an offering. They're still at the coffee bar. Um, that all happens. Do a little bit more singing. They're still at the coffee bar. I get up, do my preach. They're still at the coffee bar. You know, do the invitation at the end. They're still at the coffee bar. Release all the people and they're still at the coffee bar. You know what happened that morning? God began the process of restoration in their marriage. Fast forward the story some years later, they're married, they've got two kids, they love Jesus, they're serving their church, and they're helping other couples find wholeness in their marriage. It wasn't too much long, longer that Leanne and I were at Rock Ridge Canyon, Young Life, um, at, at the lake there, and we were renewing their vows. Why? Because a guy did something what is perceived as small. He served them a cup of coffee. Effectively gave them a cup of water in, in Jesus' name. And you know, they never heard me preach. Well, I mean, they did eventually. But that day, they never heard me preach. They didn't sing a worship song. They didn't give in the offering. They didn't contribute one tiny little bit to that church in, on that day. But I will tell you this. That day, God began the restoration. Something small that God turned into an absolute miracle. Because without his intervention and without a simple cup of coffee, that marriage would have been off the rails permanently. And so some of you are sitting here this morning and says, I can't really do much. I can change some diapers. I can, um, I can maintain the building. I can shake some hands on a Sunday morning. I can pull a couple espresso shots. I can't really do much. Hear me this morning. God does more with it than you can possibly imagine. You're down there changing diapers, but God's speaking to a mom or a dad, you know, in a way that they've never heard before. You're there pulling espresso shots, but God is restoring a marriage, right? You're just fixing up a building a little bit, but God is using this space to renew a whole community. Come on, understand that the little that you sometimes do, God will, will multiply that into much, into far more than you can possibly even imagine, but hear me today, multiplication doesn't just happen. You can't just sit there and go, hey, okay, okay, God, like multiply the place. Remember, God chooses to work miraculously through obedient disciples. And so people won't come unless you invite them. They won't min be ministered to until you serve. They won't be, the need won't be met until you give. The answer won't come until you pray. So what happened? What happened in this extraordinary gathering where Jesus does this amazing miracle and obedient disciples experience that miracle themselves? Verse 20. 
Matthew reports to us that they all, meaning all 12 to 15,000 of them, ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Listen, you have a choice this morning. You can hold on to your five loaves and your two fish and have just enough, or you can be open-handed so that God can fill your baskets with the overflow. Now, some of us, when we look at that, we go, we think leftovers. If I give, if I give to God, I'm just going to get the leftovers. Listen, I want to talk about those leftovers for a moment. How, how many of you know what tuna casserole is? Okay, some of you have been saved from a terrible experience in your life. So tuna casserole, it's basically bread and fish, right? I mean, you got some pasta, uh, you add some, some uh, mushroom soup in there. You know, if you're feeling rich that week, you put in some peas, you add the tuna, right? You crumble some potato chips over the top and you put that sucker in the oven. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Honestly, it's a thing. I talked to some people after church on the first service. They were like, I remember tuna casserole. You put that thing in the oven, you take it out. The fact of the matter is none of your family really wants to eat it. So what happens? You, you, you put it out there and you get a big bottle of ketchup and you... You put as much ketchup as you possibly can on that thing simply to make it palatable, but nobody really eats it, so it goes back in the fridge, and then two days later, you're, you're starving hum hungry. You open the fridge, and all you've got is tuna casserole. Anybody with me here this morning? So you put that, you take a scoop of that cold tuna casserole, you put it in on a plate, you put it in the microwave, you watch it go around in circles, and by the time you get it out, it's turned to rubber, it's gross, it's even worse than it was the first time. Some of us think that those are the leftovers that we get. But let me tell you about another kind of leftovers. Some of you just experienced, oh, we all just experienced this, hopefully recently, Thanksgiving dinner leftovers. Anybody with me this morning? Okay. You know what Thanksgiving dinner leftovers, I mean, it's good on the day of, but the next day, I, I mean, God does something to transform that into just the best meal ever, right? You pull that stuff out, you, you, you assemble it on your plate, and the good thing about it is that you only pick the stuff that you like the most, right? So you put some turkey on there, <clears throat> you put a little bit of yams on there, you put a little bit of stuffing, you put a little bit of something else, a little bit more stuffing, a little bit of something else, a little bit more stuffing, right? You load up your plate, you pour gravy over the whole thing, right? And we're not talking like just a boop of gravy, we're talking like you pour gravy on, right? Because first day you gotta save it to make sure everybody's got enough, now you're not worried about that. So you just like load up that plate, you put it in the microwave, you watch it go around in circles, God does something great with it, you take it out, and it is better than the day before. I'm telling you, church, those are the leftovers that God wants to give you. Reminds me of Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Some of you are like, hey, it's 12 after 12, man. I'm hungry. Stop talking about food. We're almost done. Reminds me of Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. I'm never sure about the poured into my lap thing, but I'll take it, all right? But hear this, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Some of you are afraid that if you give what God has given to you and ask him to bless it and ask him to multiply it, that God is going to be stingy with you. But I want you to see what the scripture says. Jesus' own very own words, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Some of you think God is stingy because the measure you use is too small. For some of you to experience the fullness of what God has for you, you need to make your measure larger. Stop being so stingy with God, what God has blessed you with. I'm not preaching prosperity this morning, by the way. I'm just challenging you. God wants to multiply. 
what you obediently give. So what happened that day? Verse 21. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. I want you to think of the impact of that day. I want you to think about those 5,000 men and, and, and women and their children who now went back to their homes and their villages, went back into their workplaces and their families, and they had a story to tell. They had a testimony. Because not only did they experience the healings, and not only did they hear the teaching, and not only did they understand and, and personally experience what God had done, but they had this amazing miracle that happened literally before their very eyes. And I have a feeling that the people that they would bump into said, hey, where were you all day on that day? And they said, you'll never believe what happened. We were at this thing, and Jesus talked, and, Jesus, and it was all day. It was so long, fell asleep through part of it, but I woke up, and it was still good. It was so great, but at the end, Jesus did this thing. We're not sure how it happened. We can't really explain it, but we had the most amazing meal for every single person. How many people were there? That was like 10, 12, 15,000 people. It was absolutely incredible, and then they would say this. The next time you have an opportunity to be somewhere where Jesus is, you got to go. You see how the, how the principle of multiplication begins to work? That when we experience that multiplication in our lives, when we experience the blessing of the overflow, we can't help but tell others about the amazing things that God has done. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to join me in something, and if you're new to church, I promise it's not going to get weird. Okay, um, And I'm going to ask that everybody does this. That, so for, the, for those who might feel like this is kind of a new thing, um, everybody, nobody feels left out. Can you just put your hands open like this? That's all I'm asking. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else other than this. This is a posture of openness. It's a posture that says, yes, I'm willing to receive, but God, I'm also willing to give. And I want to ask you this question this morning. What's in your hands? What skills has God given you that he's asking you to offer up to him so that he can bless it and multiply it? What creativity has God blessed you with that you need to offer to him so that he can bless it and multiply it? Some of you have been recently blessed with time. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, I am calling you to give me some time. And if you will give it to me, I will bless it and I will multiply the, your efforts. For some of you, it's finances. And listen, the moment I talk about that, people get freaked out. Listen, I'm not going to benefit from one penny so I can maybe say what your pastor won't or couldn't. Some of you, God has blessed with finances. And you're afraid that if you give it, you're just going to get the leftovers. Not the Thanksgiving leftovers, but the tuna casserole leftovers. Would you respond in obedience as a disciple and allow God to multiply it? For others, it's ideas, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, as we stand here, I pray that you would speak personally and powerfully to each person in this room, by your spirit, identify to them what you have blessed them with. Lord, what you are calling them to give so that you can bless it. 
And Lord, give them the courage to release it. And I pray that they would see a miracle of multiplication unlike anything they have ever experienced. And I pray this in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let me speak a word, last word over you this morning. I share this with every single church I go to because I believe that it expresses the heart of God and the principle of multiplication. And so I bless you with this. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within you to accomplish infinitely more than you can ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through every generation, forever and ever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avon Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.